You know, NXT has been doing these TakeOver War Games shows for the last two years. The first one was in 2017. We had another one last year, and now we had one this year. So for the last three years in a row, I should say. This year, unlike the previous two, we had two War Games matches, one for the men and one for the women. Now, while excitement was definitely there for both matches heading into this show, there was some sense of not necessarily fear, but some caution that one would outshine the other. Or, by there being two, they would kind of cancel each other out and it would water down the stipulation, which is a very special stipulation. That did not happen on this show. We had two War Games matches, one at the beginning with the women, and one at the end with the men. And both of them were excellent in their own way. I did not feel one outshined the other, at least not to a, an alarming degree. But both matches were incredible. And since this show is called TakeOver War Games and you just go by those two matches alone, it is hard to say that this was anything less than a thumbs-up show. At worst, this was an awesome show. But that doesn't even do it justice. So, here I am, Derek J 407 and I'm here to give you my thoughts on NXT TakeOver War Games 2019, as I mentioned earlier, the third edition of War Games for NXT. And they keep getting better by the year. Each year that has passed so far has given us a War Games match that was better than the previous year. And on this show, we had two (laughs) that were better than both previous War Games matches from previous years. Unbelievable. The women killed each other. The men killed each other. That finish. Jesus Christ. And we have these guys, these women, they're going to wrestle again tomorrow night at Survivor Series because Survivor Series is built around Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. So a lot of these guys and girls are going to be competing again tomorrow night. How they're going to manage to do that, I have no idea. But. Trapped in a bottle on this night. This was an incredible show. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, There was a kickoff show for a takeover show for the very first time. I don't believe they've really... They have their kickoff shows, but they don't usually have matches. That was... That's what was so special about this case. Um, But uh, before the match, we saw a backstage shot of Mia Yim laid out she was attacked uh later on she got taken out to the hospital and she was deemed uh not medically cleared to compete in the women's war games match later on in the night she was set up to be on team ripley and so she was replaced right on the spot by dakota kai dakota kai was someone who wanted to be on team ripley but was overlooked in favor of mia yim and uh yeah, that pretty much you you knew where that was going and it went there, but you were not prepared for what 
it was setting up. So the actual match on the kickoff show was Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Angel Garza. Not going to lie, I was in the middle of something else, so I couldn't really pay full attention to this match. But it's Isaiah Swerve Scott's in... If you know him from the indies, Shane Strickland, or if you know him from Lucha Underground like me, Killshot, an incredible athlete, Angel Garza. We've seen him in NXT for a couple months now. He debuted along with the, uh, the that breakout tournament, which was won by Jordan Miles, which is so hilarious now <laughs> looking back on that. But uh, Angel Garza is really, really good. I was hoping we'd get a rematch between him and Leo Rush for the Cruiserweight Championship on this show, but... Uh, Maybe that'll happen in due time. But uh, from what I could tell, this was a really good match. But in the end, it was Angel Garza who got the win. So that was that. And that led into the main show. The show kicked off with the first ever women's war games match. This is a stipulation that has been around for 30 plus years. And this is the very first time that women were inside war games. They didn't pat themselves on the back for it either. We don't see that in NXT. That Had this been on the main roster, that's all it would have been about. It wouldn't have been about these two teams who have a grudge against each other going at it. It would have been about the historic, groundbreaking achievement by WWE of letting the women be in a War Games match. So, thank God that wasn't a part of this. So, of course, we had Team Baszler, which was comprised of NXT Women's Champion Shayna Baszler, along with Io Shirai, Bianca Belair, and the NXT... UK women's champion Kaylee Ray taking on Team Ripley with Rhea Ripley, um, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox, and now replacing Mia Yim, Dakota Kai. So the match started with Candice LeRae and Io Shirai. Those two at the previous TakeOver show had the best match of that night and still one of the best WWE matches of the entire year. So it was very fitting to see uh, the two of them kick things off here. Bianca Belair was the first one released from her cage because both teams, the remaining members, were locked in basically shark cages on the stage. So she was the first person out. She got in the ring, and uh, she showed off her power. She, at one point, hit multiple power bombs on Candice LeRae, ending it with her just launching Candice into the, uh, the cage wall. And that got a huge pop from the crowd. Out next came Rhea Ripley. She went under the ring. She brought out trash cans. She got kendo sticks. She got steel chairs. But uh, the fans were chanting for tables. They wanted tables. And she did not deliver tables. So she got booed. (laughs) Uh, Which is unfortunate, you know, seeing as how she's the big baby face. But it did work in the favor of the next person out, which was Kaylee Ray. She came out. She went under the ring. She was looking for weapons to bring in the ring, too. She saw a table, and she touched it. She went to pull it out, but then she decided not to. She waved it off, and the fans booed her, which was good. You know, she's a heel. And not a lot of people are familiar with her, seeing as how she's the NXT UK Women's Champion. And unless you're one of the British Strong Style guys or Walter... (laughs) In Imperium, you don't get much of a reaction. Uh, there was one spot here where we had a big Tower of Doom collision onto a bunch of chairs. Rhea Ripley was laid out, and everyone got laid out except for Bianca Belair, who was still up top, and she ended up hitting a 450 splash onto Rhea Ripley. 
So out next was another member of Team Ripley, and it was supposed to be Dakota Kai. Tegan Knox, who was still in the cage, she was cheering her on, telling her to get in there and go after it. But Dakota Kai stopped on the stage, turned right back around, and went to attack Tegan Knox. She laid her out. She put a hurting on Tegan Knox, whooped her ass, uh, used the cage door to slam it into Tegan Knox, eventually started to target her, you know, surgically repaired knee and just put her in a, a leg lock, smashed the door against that. Referees were coming out trying to restrain her. William Regal, the NXT general manager, came out, and Dakota Kai shoved him away. That got a reaction from the crowd because you know William Regal. You don't put your hands on William Regal. So that got a reaction. They were trying to get her away. She got away for a few seconds, but then she came right back, targeted Tegan Knox, and eventually they managed to all pull her off and send her to the back. Tegan Knox was down. She was injured, so she couldn't continue. So now you're down two members of Team Ripley to just Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae, who are in the ring. Meanwhile, Shayna Baszler, who was in the other cage, she was just laughing at all of this, just having a good old time looking at this misfortune for Team Ripley. And once it was time for her to come in, she strutted her way down to the ring, into the cage, with all the confidence in the world, because from here on out, it was four on two. The heels dominated Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae for a very long time, but they, they did show some signs of life. Um, one really unique spot was, uh, Bianca Belair. She had her, she has her hair whip and she started whipping Rhea Ripley with it. But then out of nowhere comes Candice LeRae with a kendo stick and started to whip Bianca Belair with that. So I thought that was really impressive. Um, we saw Candice hit a avalanche poison Hurricane Rana on Kaylee Ray off the top rope spiking her head into the mat which just looked absolutely brutal we see Candice and Bianca Belair start to mix it up a little bit Candice starts pulling on Bianca's uh, hair whip meanwhile all this whole time Io Shirai has been laid out on the top of the cage so finally she comes to she gets back up and she hits a huge moonsault off the top of the cage onto Bianca Belair and Candice LeRae very awesome looking spot there Meanwhile, back in the other ring, we see Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley mixing it up. Uh, Shayna manages to lock Rhea in the Karafuta clutch. Rhea tries to fight out of it, tries to claw out of it. It looks like she's about to go down the same way we've seen other people almost fight out of it, but they can't escape. Rhea managed to do so because she used handcuffs. Now, earlier in the match, Shayna Baszler tried to use handcuffs to cuff together Rhea's hands, but I believe it was Candice LeRae. She interfered and she prevented that from happening. The cuffs were still out there, though. So Rhea takes the cuffs and handcuffs herself to Shayna Baszler. So now they're cuffed together. Uh, Rhea tries to take her out, but then Shayna kind of reverses. She gets back up. She goes for a kick. Rhea ducks, and she ends up hitting Shayna with the riptide. Now she hits this move through chairs that were set up earlier there was like a whole stack of chairs they were set up all along each other so she hits Shayna with the riptide and crashes her right through the tape I mean right through the chairs sorry gets the one two three and despite the heavy insurmountable odds 
Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae overcome a four-on-two deficit to win the first-ever women's war games match. A little unrealistic that they won four-on-two like this, and there was at least a little bit of argument that I saw, at least on my timeline, of whether or not that made the other four women look weak. You can make the argument that, hey, it's war games. There's a lot of commotion going on. Anything could happen at any given notice, at any given moment. So it's just it just happened to be at the right time, at the right place, at the right time for Rhea Ripley to get the win. It is a little unrealistic, but that does not dampen the match for me. I thought this was an incredible match. I thought these women absolutely brought it. I thought the storytelling was great with Dakota Kai. I'm sure everyone and their grandmother could predict exactly where Dakota Kai was going to go with the heel turn here. I think some people thought it was going to happen weeks ago on NXT television, but it happening the way it did on this show was completely by surprise because I had I didn't think it would be as vicious as it was. She looked like a damn monster. And it's just crazy to think that in the year 2019, we have Dakota Kai, Io Shirai, Kyrie Sane, and Bailey, four of the most lovable baby faces in the entire company, are all heels. Meanwhile, guys like Tommaso Ciampa and Kevin Owens and The Miz are all baby faces. It's weird times. Nevertheless, great match, incredible match. All the women in this match brought it, and I thought it was great. And, uh, yeah, that's all there really needs to be said about it. Up next, we had a triple threat match between Damian Priest, Killian Dane, and the bruiserweight Pete Dunne, where the winner would receive an NXT Championship match tomorrow night at Survivor Series against Adam Cole. This match, I mean, it's been building up recent in recent weeks on TV, uh, the animosity between all three of these men, but it was kind of thrown together at the last minute, and it was given a stipulation to kind of give it a reason for happening and not just being any random triple threat. They're fighting for something, and it was coming after the Women's War Games match, so you kind of look at it like, oh, this is probably a piss break, or this is a come-down match kind of thing. So there's not much to be expected for, and you could probably tell exactly who's going to win out of all three of these guys, especially considering the fact that out of all three of these guys, one particular person got the biggest pop from the crowd, and that's Pete Dunne. So early on, there was a little bit of quietness from the crowd, but these three had a really good match, much better than they had any right to. All three shined at particular points. Killian Dane was a beast in this match. At one point on the outside, he had Damian Priest up on his shoulders in a uh, fireman's carry position, and then Pete Dunne charging at him. He catches Pete Dunne in like a world's strongest slam um, position, and then he ends up hitting a fallaway slam and just tosses both men right behind him. I thought that was crazy. Uh... A little bit later on in the match, we see Damian Priest, who's one of the new guys in NXT that they're pushing. He has the Razor's Edge as one of his finishers, and he hit the Razor's Edge on Pete Dunne on the outside onto the Spanish announce table. He didn't go through the table, Dunne did, but uh, he landed on it, which is just as bad. 
Meanwhile, out of nowhere, comes Killian Dane diving through the ropes onto Damian Priest. He sets up Priest on a piece of the barricade and ends up hitting a cannonball right through the barricade on Damian Priest. So I thought that was really cool. Um, back in the ring, we see Killian Dane up on the top rope and Damian Priest comes over and hits the razor's edge on Killian Dane. Killian Dane is a huge behemoth of a man, well over 300 pounds, I'm sure. So the fact that he was able to get him up for the razor's edge, hold him up there for a while and walk and slam him down like that was very impressive. Did not get the three count because Pete Dunn got back up. He recovered and broke the pinfall cover. Uh, we saw Killian Dane hit a Vader bomb on Damian Priest, but Dunn ended up hitting a moonsault to break it up. He hit Killian Dane with a bitter end, but Priest broke it up. And I'll just go ahead and skip to the finish here. Uh, Dam- uh, I'm sorry, Pete Dunn ends up hitting the bitter end on Damian, Damian Priest. Killian Dane ended up breaking it with a senton. The two men, Dane and Dunn, they fight it out. Dunn ends up locking Killian Dane in a sleeper hold. But uh, when Dane goes back and tries like, to slam backwards, they both land on Damian Priest. But Dane is out of it for long enough for Pete Dunn to realize where he is and what position he's in. He goes for the cover on Damian Priest, gets the win. So Pete Dunn is the new number one contender for the NXT Championship and will get a championship match against Adam Cole at Survivor Series. Maybe, depending on what condition Adam Cole is in for Survivor Series, which is a whole other thing we'll have to talk about later. Uh, But like I said before, this match was a lot better than it had any right to be. I do feel like there were a little too many false finishes, though. There were a few points where it felt like this match probably could have and should have ended and the finish they went with was a little weaker compared to some of the earlier finishes that they could have went with, like Dunn hitting the bitter end on Killian Dane or Priest and kind of ending it about five or six minutes earlier than it did. But it was still a really good match. Got the fans into it. Uh, so that's all you can really say about it. They made an announcement for the next NXT TakeOver event, not the UK TakeOver, which will take place in Blackpool in January. But the next official takeover will be in Portland, Oregon on February 16th, 2020. And that date just so happens to be a Sunday night. So for the first time ever, a NXT takeover show will be taking place on a Sunday night. We've seen takeover run a show unopposed with no pay-per-view the next night. They did that earlier this year in June. I think it was their 25th takeover show. So they're doing it again, but this time, instead of running on a Saturday night, they're going to run on a Sunday night. So it'd be very impressive to see what they can do in that situation. Up next, we had Matt Riddle versus Finn Balor. So this match was originally penciled in to be Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano after what happened with that awesome segment where Finn Balor turned heel and laid out Johnny Gargano. But unfortunately, Gargano had a legit neck injury that prevented him from competing in this match so riddle who was supposed to be on team champa in the war games match ended up getting take he got pulled from that match and placed into this kind of out of nowhere rushed feud with finn balor but uh you knew matt riddle finn balor they're gonna go out there and have a great match and they did 
it started off a little slow. Um, Riddle, who is super over with the crowds, he got cheered, but there were a little more boos for him, and I don't think that was really anything against him. I think it was more so just because they really liked Finn Balor, who, despite turning heel, he still has most of the fans in love with the guy, especially with him doing the Bullet Club gun sign, so <laughs> it's hard not to still like him. Uh, one of the big highlight spots of this match was Matt Riddle hitting a spear on Finn Balor, which got a big reaction, and then he got Balor up and hit him with a jackhammer. So, he's still keeping that feud with Bill Goldberg alive and well. Uh, he, that being Riddle, he ended up hitting Balor with the bro to sleep, the BTS. Isn't that a band? I'm not familiar, but <laughs> I bet BTS fans are going to be upset with me now. But uh, he hit the, the bro to sleep on Finn Balor. And, of course, you know, a certain someone who recently came back to the company insert in a certain capacity, working with Fox on the WWE backstage show on FS1. But still, he's back in the fold in some capacity. He's relevant in this world again. So, of course, they're going to chant. CM Punk in Chicago you're in Chicago CM Punk is working with a network that owns WWE and you hit the guy's finishing move like of course that's gonna spawn CM Punk chance which it did but uh not long enough to really be phased by it uh Riddle goes up top hits the floating bro but it got blocked by knees from Balor uh, Balor goes up top, tries to go for the coup de gras, but Riddle moves, ends up locking Balor in the bro mission, which Balor escaped from. Riddle hit the ripcord knee earlier in the match, so he went for it again here, but this time Balor ducked, he reversed it, and turned it into the 1916 DDT and got the big win. So even if this match was Balor and Gargano, I still feel like that would have been the finish anyway. I also think the match would have been a little better than what this one was, but that's not to say this was a bad match. This was still a really good match. Like I said, it started off a little slow, but then it really picked up, and these guys are just really, really good. Shocker, Finn Balor and Matt Riddle are really good. But uh, yeah, they put on a really good match, and the right guy went over. You have Balor, you want to establish him as one of your top heels on the show. There's plenty of options for him as far as baby faces are concerned for him to face until Johnny Gargano's back so big win for him so good stuff here and then finally the main event the men's war games match the team of the undisputed era NXT champion Adam Cole Bebe I couldn't resist uh, NXT North American champion Roderick Strong and of course the NXT tag team champions Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish taking on team Champa. Tommaso Ciampa, Dominic Dijakovic, Keith Lee, and a mystery partner that they did not reveal, and they kept under wraps all the way till basically the end of this match. Uh, so, I can only just say what happened. This was a car wreck, a train wreck. This was just unbelievable stuff that happened in this one. Uh, so, it started out with Tommaso Ciampa and Roderick Strong. Ciampa came out with his crutch. He 
threw it at Roddy's feet and told him and encouraged him to use it on him. But Roddy took it and threw it out of the cage. And I, I don't think we ever saw it again. So that played no part in the match. Uh, out first with the man advantage for Undisputed Era was Kyle O'Reilly. So he came in. There was a little bit of double team. Out first for Team Champa was Dominic Dajakovic. He came in and hit some brutal moves on uh, Strong and O'Reilly. Then out came Bobby Fish. We see three on two. The Undisputed Era's cocky. Meanwhile, the fans are just waiting for Keith Lee to get in this match. They were huge Keith Lee fans in this match, singing the whole Bask in His Glory thing. So they were really anticipating him getting in there. And then eventually the clock runs out. Keith Lee comes in and he wrecks house. He goes through all three men. Eventually he gets taken down though. Out next came Adam Cole who went right under the ring and brought out several tables, getting one of the biggest pops of the entire night. On this night, at this moment in time at least, Adam Cole was the biggest baby face on the planet. When he brought out these tables, <laughs> the fans even chanted, thank you, Adam, or thank you, Cole, or something like that. So he was mega over as a babyface in front of this crowd simply by bringing out tables. So he kept bringing tables into the ring. I believe he brought like four in or he brought in four and he had one more that was kind of set up behind him, kind of leaning on the uh, the apron. So Adam Cole, he's finished putting the tables in. He tries to get back in the ring. And out of nowhere comes Champa, who meets him right at the steps, shoves Cole backwards, and Cole lands into that table that was still on the outside, propped up against the ring barricade. So we see it's four on three, Undisputed Era, beating down the baby faces. We have no idea who this mystery partner is, or even if there is one. And then the clock runs out, welcoming the last person to come out. It reaches zero, and no one comes out. They wait for a few seconds. We're all anticipating who it's going to be. And then the music hits, and out comes Kevin Owens. Definitely shocked me. I did not expect Kevin Owens to be the partner, but it does make sense, and I believe the commentators even referenced this. It was this past Monday night on Raw in a match between Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre. It got interrupted by Triple H, who came out there and cut a promo on Kevin Owens, encouraging him to rejoin NXT when out of nowhere, the Undisputed Era came out and attacked Kevin Owens, which Triple H was not a huge fan of. But uh, Adam Cole and the rest of the Undisputed Era kept beating down Kevin Owens. So there was a reason for Kevin Owens to be out here. It wasn't random. There was a backstory. There was a setup for this. So I thought that was great. And uh, yeah, Kevin Owens came in. He started to beat down Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong. There came a point where he and Adam Cole, two longtime friends, came face to face. Cole threw up the UE sign, trying to get Kevin Owens to join him. Kevin Owens mocked like he was going to form the symbol, but instead he did the suck it pose. Went for a stunner, got ducked, or got reversed. Cole went for a super kick. Owens caught his foot. Hit him with the stunner anyway. So, we see Lee, Keith Lee, and Dominic Dajakovic. They grab Roderick Strong. They try to toss him from one ring to the other into the rest of the Undisputed Era, but unfortunately, Roddy, instead of going over the ropes, he went through the ropes and landed 
onto Bobby Fish onto his leg a little awkwardly. So that was a pretty awkward fall for everyone in that situation. But uh, at this point, War Games officially began. We saw uh, a really cool spot where um, Kyle O'Reilly had a like leg bar on Keith Lee. And then from the support beam in the middle that holds the two rings together, we see Dominic Dajakovic hits a moonsault from the one ring's ropes and goes backwards into the other ring and hits the moonsault on uh, Kyle O'Reilly. We see Bobby Fish hit a moonsault onto Dajakovic to break the cover. We see Owens hit a, a dive or a frog splash or something. I think it was a, a swanton on uh, Bobby Fish. A little bit later, Roderick Strong, he hits an angle slam on Keith Lee off the top rope. But one of the more interesting spots of the match, we see Kevin Owens and Adam Cole in the middle of the two rings on that steel grate that's connecting the two. We see Kevin Owens teasing for the first time in a long time, if not ever, hitting the package pile driver on Adam Cole. He goes as far as to get him up in that position to hit the move. But Adam Cole manages to escape, so uh, he, he he got him up for the first time, but then Adam Cole snuck out of it, so I thought, okay, well, that was just a little nice tease, but they're not going to do it. Then he got him up, like, real proper for the move, and it's like, oh, shit, maybe they are, are going to do it, but didn't happen. Instead, Adam Cole gets up on the, uh, between the two ropes, he gets up on the middle rope, and ends up hitting the Panama Sunrise on Kevin Owens with his head spiking right onto that steel beam. It looked brutal. It looked like a brutal landing for Kevin Owens. So, (laughs) and all I can think is, if he can hit the Panama Sunrise, why can't Kevin Owens just hit the package pile driver? I don't get that, but whatever. It was still a cool spot. Uh, So, Winding down with the match, uh, Dominic Dijakovic, he ended up he ended up hitting Roddy with a choke slam, planted him right through a table. O'Reilly, he locked Dijakovic in a triangle arm bar. O'Reilly, you know, managed to muscle him up, placed him on a table, for which Kevin Owens finally recovered, gets up onto the top rope and hits a frog splash onto Kyle O'Reilly, crashing through the table. We see on the other side, Keith Lee was propped up on the top turnbuckle, and Bobby Fish was up there with him, kind of pounding on him. We see Lee hit a powerbomb off the top rope on Bobby Fish through a table. Meanwhile, back in the other ring, by this point, Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa, Tommaso Ciampa, who have been going back and forth, they found themselves up on the top of the cage. Below them were two tables, not stacked, but placed side by side. A similar sight that we saw uh, at TakeOver a few months ago in the last match between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano. This spot reminded me of that. So they're going back and forth on top of the cage. The fans are chanting, please don't die. I'm chanting that from my own couch. Please don't die. Especially someone up there who just came back from a from neck surgery so I'm begging these guys to be safe Adam Cole tries to hit a move Uh, I believe he was trying to go for the Panama Sunrise but in doing so he put himself in a position where Champa 
held on to him and got him in position for the Emerald Frosian, which Champa hit. And these two men come crashing all the way off of this cage, 15, 20 feet, crashing all the way down with Cole going through both tables. Just complete definition of crash and burn. And Champa was already positioned in the cover. The referee counts the three. And Team Champa wins War Games. So, of the three War Games matches, the three ones that had men in them, all three have held the Undisputed Era. They won the first one, they lost last year, and they lost again here. With the finish being one of the greatest, yet also scariest finishes to not just War Games, but any match that I've ever seen or at least I've seen in a long time uh, that was brutal <laughs> I'm so glad like obviously that was the finish but I'm so glad no one from the Undisputed Era came over and broke that cover cause it's like how the hell could that not be the finish or worse Adam Cole kicking out could you imagine the outrage from people if Adam Cole kicked out of that move Oh my God, (laughs) Twitter would be burned to the ground. I'd be a part of that burning too, because I would lose my shit. I would have lost my shit had Adam Cole kicked out of that move. So thank God that was the finish. Uh, For like a good minute or two, everyone was still laid out. Even after the bell had rung and they're playing Champa's music, match is over, but these guys are all laid out. They're dead. But eventually they picked themselves up. Keith Lee went over, pulled up Champa. All four men held each other's arms. They held their arms up, I should say. Kevin Owens hugged Champa, whispered something in his ear, and then left the cage, left the ring, and left it to Champa, Dijakovic, and Keith Lee. So the babyfaces are triumphant in both War Games matches. We have Pete Dunne as the number one contender for the NXT Championship, and we had Finn Balor beating Matt Riddle in a really good match. And my question is, how the hell are any of these guys, especially the the women and the men in the War Games matches, how are they going to be fit enough to compete in matches at Survivor Series? Adam Cole is supposed to defend his NXT Championship against Pete Dunne. We're supposed to have a men's and women's team for traditional Survivor Series elimination matches. Roderick Strong is going to be in a triple threat with AJ and Nakamura. O'Reilly and Fish are going to be facing the War Raiders, or I'm sorry, the Viking Raiders and the New Day. So how the hell... (laughs) This is what happens when you build up your pay-per-view as Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT, which was a good concept. The inclusion of NXT these last few weeks on TV have done a good of job hyping me up for Survivor Series as anything else. It's gotten a little redundant at times, but I can't imagine what this buildup would have been like had NXT not been involved. So it was really cool to have NXT involved in Survivor Series this year, but now... 24 hours after killing each other in war games matches we're supposed to just expect these guys to be healthy enough to win for their team (laughs) so and plus nxt won a lot of matches on the previous week smackdown so i'm pretty sure that will play a hand in letting you know who is going to win at survivor series or at least who won't be and that's nxt Although, I do suspect they'll get a couple of wins in there. I'm pulling for Shayna Baszler and Roderick Strong to win their respective matches. But, um, 
Once again, NXT TakeOver delivers a huge, amazing show. War Games under NXT has been a godsend. The men and women who competed in War Games matches on this night, hats off to all of them. Tremendous effort from everyone. Just an incredible show. And uh, I am looking forward to Survivor Series. You know, though all the matches I listed, plus Brock Lesnar and Rey Mysterio, which has had some of the best buildup of all the matches heading into the show. Daniel Bryan and The Fiend for the Universal Championship. So, a lot to look forward to for Survivor Series this weekend. Uh, so, I'll be back here on YouTube to cover that show tomorrow evening. So, once again, great show tonight. And until Survivor Series, take care.